The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 22. 2 Kings, chapter number 22. It's always encouraging to see people come out to church, even though it's really hot outside. Um, This past Thursday, we are doing our video series, The Wonders of God's Creation. And last week, we learned how the average temperature on planet Earth is 59 degrees. And we were having a fun time with that, wishing it was 59 degrees here in Fresno. So, thank you all for coming on out. 2 Kings, chapter number 22. Verses 1 and 2 will be our text reading this morning. We're continuing our series entitled Age of Kings, and we're looking at the past kings of Israel to see what we can learn about the King of Kings, to see what we can learn about God and what we can learn about Jesus and how we're to respond in light of who God is. Inside your service program, you should find an outline that you can use to kind of follow along this morning. Hope that'll be a help to you. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read our text this morning. Second Kings chapter number 22, we'll read verses 1 and 2. Uh, we'll be looking through chapter 1, chapter 21, 22, and 23 this morning. But we'll start right here uh, with these first two verses. The Bible says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adadiah of Boscath. I'm glad I'm called Nick and not Boscath. Verse number 2. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or towards the left. This morning I want to speak on the subject of God's mercy. God's mercy. Let's pray. Generally, Father, we just thank you so much just for uh, Lord, just the wonderful time of worship we already had, praising your name, Lord, lifting your son Jesus up high. And Father, I just ask that you be with this service. Father, fill me, speak through me this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we saw um, how because of King Solomon's sin, God split the nation of Israel into two different nations. The ten tribes on the north became the tribe of Israel. The two tribes that remained on the south became the nation of Judah. And last week we looked at uh, the first king of the split nation of Israel, King Jeroboam. And we saw because how he did not trust God, God had to then, or he disobeyed God because he did not trust God. And really from the time of Jeroboam all throughout the rest of the kings of Israel, the ten northern tribes, there wasn't really any kings that actually walked with God. So literally for over two hundred years, 241 years, there was not one king in the nation of Israel, these 10 northern tribes that walked with God. So just imagine generation after generation after generation after generation of just sin and wickedness and not walking with the Lord. And as a result of generation after generation after generation of this sin that the nation of Israel was living in, they were eventually taken captive by the country of Assyria. The nation of Judah, though, the two southern tribes, were a little bit different. While they did have their fair share of kings who did not walk with the Lord, they also had many kings who did walk with God. In fact, because of this, the nation of Judah lasted about 126 years longer than the nation of Israel did. Uh, A few weeks ago, we saw how at the end of the nation of Judah, they were overrun and eventually taken over uh, by Babylon. That happened about 126 years after the nation of Israel was taken captive. Well, our story this morning, the reign of Josiah that we're going to be looking at, takes place about 42 years 
before the nation of Judah becomes taken captive by Babylon. But in order to kind of understand the spiritual state in which Josiah began to reign, in order to kind of understand all that was going on in the country, we actually have to look back to his father and even his grandfather to kind of see the state of the nation of Judah. So we're going to take a look back real quick at his grandfather, King Manasseh. Now, King Manasseh was literally the worst king in the history of Judah. There was no king that was more wicked than he was. There was no king that was more uh, vile than he was. Uh, God said on one account that he was actually worse than the pagan countries that were surrounding the nation of Judah. I mean, he was so bad, he would literally sacrifice his own children in these pagan rituals. At one point, the Bible says he shed so much innocent blood that it literally filled the streets of Jerusalem. That's how wicked King Manasseh was. And he reigned for 55 years. So you can imagine decade after decade after decade of Judah just plunging deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. They were horrible. I don't want to make light of maybe the spiritual state of America today. But Judah made America look like Mayberry. I mean, it was just so wicked, and it was so depraved, and it was just, they were sinking into sin. And it got to the point where God finally said, Judah is just so wicked, he said in, the, in chapter 21, he said, I'm going to wipe Judah like a man wipes his plate. Literally, he's just going to, he's going to wipe him out. He's just, he's just tired, generation after generation of so much sin, so much wickedness. King Manasseh was literally the worst king in the history of Judah. And Manasseh reigned over 55 years. And it was in verse uh, 21, chapter, or chapter 21, verse 13, that God said, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So just like you would empty your plate out into the trash. That's what God says, I'm going to do to Jerusalem. He's like, I, this, this sin is so crazy. After Manasseh's death, his son Amnon became thing. You would think Ammon would actually think, okay... My dad got this country to a mess. Let's see what we can do to kind of, you know, help fix the situation. But he didn't. Ammon was just as bad as his father was, the Bible says. And so he just continued taking Judah deeper and deeper and deeper into this sin. Well, finally, Ammon's servants got sick of it. And they actually conspired against Ammon and killed him. And Josiah became king at the age of eight years old. Eight years old, and Josiah becomes king. That was the spiritual heritage that Josiah was handed down to. He was handed a spiritual heritage of wickedness and depravity that God was just sick of. He was handed this. He, he inherited a country and a nation that was just, they were in a mess. They were so deep into sin, and there were just so, so much wickedness. You could say Josiah was kind of dealt a hand that really wasn't fair. You could say Josiah found himself facing an impossible task. After all, he's in a country that's just waiting God's judgment. God said, I'm going to wipe him out like a man wipes his plate. And so here he is. He becomes king. Eight years old. How many of you have been king? You know, that's crazy. Eight years old. He's supposed to be playing with toy swords. And he's the king. And he's not only a king, but he's a king of a wicked nation that God is getting ready to judge. He faced an impossible situation. We would honestly look at it and say, man, that's not really fair for Josiah to have to walk into that situation. And while the circumstances might not be as extreme in our lives, we've all been in positions where we faced ourselves up against an impossible task and we felt like, man, the hand I've been given isn't really fair. It's not really fair, the tasks that I have ahead of me. Maybe not as seemingly extreme, 
but you feel like you're faced with an impossible task. Maybe you're here today, and like Josiah, your family heritage isn't one that honors the Lord. You say, well, I mean, it was, it's not as extreme as Manasseh, but you, you, you're, you're here and you're in church, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm the first Christian in, in, my family, in my family's history. I'm the first Christian in my family line. I'm trying to begin a whole new godly heritage. And so you could relate to Josiah in that way. Faced with a task that seems impossible. Maybe here today and you're like, man, Josiah had to lead a nation. I, I, I don't even know how to lead my family. I mean, with all that's going on in the world, how, how, can, I, how can I raise a family that's going to love and honor the Lord? You say, it's, it's, not, it's not really fair with all that's going on, with all that's against me. How do we do it? How can we um, face this impossible task? Regardless of the specific circumstances, it's easy to get into a position, and it's, it is obvious to be in a place where we feel like, man, I just the hand I've been dealt isn't really fair. Well, like we said, King Josiah became king at the age of eight. His father and his grandfather were some of the worst and most wicked in the history of Israel and Judah. His nation was plunged into spiritual darkness, and they were awaiting God's judgment. Josiah was faced with an impossible task. Well, 18 years later, at the age of 26, Josiah decides... I'm going to rebuild the temple of God. I'm going to try and do, i got, I got to do something. This, our country is, is so wicked. We're going to try and rebuild the temple. And so while they're rebuilding the temple, one of the priests comes to Josiah and they find the book of the law. They find a part of God's word. Uh, many scholars will tell you that they found the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, many scholars believe it was lost just because of the wicked state uh, that Judah was in and how people weren't worshiping God. They weren't in the temple of God. It was probably just buried somewhere in the back and completely forgotten about. And here this priest finds the book of the law and he brings it to Josiah. And Josiah reads it and he realizes once again, man, we are facing God's judgment. He reads it and the Bible says he literally rips his clothes. He's just so upset and he's so distraught and he, he, his heart is broken because he realizes what Judah is facing. He realizes that they're going to face the consequences of generation after generation after generation of just sin and wicked living. And so what Josiah does is he, he takes the book of the law and he tells, he tells the priest that brought it to him, he says, Hey, go to this prophetess and, and, and tell it to her and see what she says. And so he, he takes it to the prophet, or the priest takes it to the prophetess, and the prophetess comes back and says, yes, there's going to be judgment because of generation after generation after generation of sin. But the prophetess says something interesting. She says, Josiah, because you humbled yourself before the Lord, she tells Josiah that judgment is going to wait while you are king. She says, Josiah, because you had a heart that was right with God, God's not going to judge the nation of Judah while you are king. She says, you will have a peaceful reign. And so God, in an incredible act of love and mercy, gives Judah a second chance. You see, God in his mercy delays the judgment on the nation of Judah. Which leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is this. We are the recipients of God's great Mercy. We are the recipients of God's great mercy. God told Josiah, I'm not going to punish you. We're going to wait on God's judgment. I'm going to show you mercy. The definition of mercy is compassionate or kindly forbearance shown towards an offender, an enemy, or other person of one's power. Literally, kind of a, a, an easy definition for me is not getting what I do deserve. 
not getting what I do deserve. The nation of Judah, they deserve to be punished. They deserve to be punished for just all the sin that they had been living in. But God said, I am not going to punish you. God said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to show you mercy. Um, <laughs> I can remember a few months ago, I think Sarah was six or seven months pregnant maybe, and to kind of let get, to kind of help myself out here a little bit, it was late, we were tired, I was exhausted. I think it was like 9 o'clock at night, and Sarah wanted to go shopping. Um, and so I was like, all right, let's go shopping. And I was totally in, on autopilot. I was just trying to do the good husband thing, you know, pushing the cart around, keeping my mouth shut, smiling, you know, having a good attitude. And she, being six or seven months pregnant, was looking for kind of a comfy T-shirt to wear around the house or whatever. And she was looking at this shirt, and she really liked it. She's like, oh, this is really cute. I just I think it's too big, and I don't know. It's really cute. It's on sale, but it, it looks like it's going to be too big. And I said the stupidest thing in the world. I said, well, don't worry, babe. You're only going to get bigger. <laughs> oh. It was like one of those moments as you're speaking, you're trying to pull the words back in, but you just can't. In that moment, I needed some serious mercy. I deserved to get a roundhouse kick to the face. And I'm glad my wife was pregnant, so she probably couldn't do that at that moment. But I was, I was in a position where I, I needed some serious mercy. I said something really stupid. And fortunately, my wife was very merciful and just kind of laughed and, you know, let it be what it was. But um, the nation of Judah... They were in a position where they needed some serious mercy. They didn't just say something stupid. They had been generation after generation after generation of not walking with God in their incredibly deep sin. And just like Judah, though, deserved to suffer the consequences of their sin, if we're to be honest, so do we. Just like Judah was in a position where they needed God's mercy, so are we. You see, we have been, as Christians, we have been the recipients of God's great mercy. Look over to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I think we're going to have this up on the screens, but I want you to see it. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 3 through 7. Verse number 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh. So this is the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he's describing what their lives were like before they got saved. And through the Holy Spirit, we can realize this is how we were before we got saved too. Among whom also ye had all our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of mind. And were, get this, by nature, the children of wrath. You see, a lot of times it's easy for us to kind of think, well... Okay, God's mercy, I get it, but you know, I'm not really that bad. I haven't, you know, done X, Y, or Z. I'm not this horribly wicked, atrocious person. I'm not, I'm not like King Manasseh. He really deserved God's mercy. That's not me, so I'm okay. But look at what Paul says here. He says, you are by nature the children of wrath. You see, at our very core, regardless of how it's always fleshed out, we need God's mercy, not because of what we've done, but because of what our nature is. By nature, we are sinners. By nature, the Bible says, we are the children of wrath. Because of our sin nature that we have inside of us, we are in need of God's mercy. But notice what he goes on to say. I love this. But God, who is rich in mercy. God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were in dead in sins, even though we deserve God's punishment, even though we deserve God's wrath because we are by nature the children of wrath, by nature we were sinners, even though we deserved God's wrath, even though we deserved God's punishment, even though we deserve to spend eternity separated from God forever, even in spite of all of that, God, 
in his great love wherewith he hath loved us. He says, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And get this, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. See, we need God's mercy. It's easy for us to think, well, I'm, I'm not some horrible person. But the Bible's clear. By nature, by our very nature, at our very core, our DNA is sinful. We are sinners by nature. And because of that, we deserve God's wrath. But God, in His great mercy, has saved us. God has given us His mercy, even though we didn't deserve it. Even though we feel like, man, I, I, I don't really know. God, in His great mercy, has saved our souls. You see, a lot of times it's easy to think when we're going through a difficult circumstance or when maybe there's a trial or something going on in our life, we just think, God, this isn't fair. God, me going through this situation, it's just not fair. I don't deserve this. Can I say this? If God was fair... If God, was, if God gave us what we deserved, none of us would be here today. But God has given us incredible mercy. We are the recipients of God's great mercy. Not only did he just save us, but as Ephesians says, he, he saved us so he could show us the grace of God, so we could sit together in heavenly places with Christ. God gave us Jesus, even though we don't deserve it. Jesus said, no... It's not fair, God, for you to punish me for their sin. But, God, I love them so much. Let's show them mercy. God, you can, you can be unfair, God, and punish me for their sin. That's what Jesus said. God, you can be unfair and punish me because we love them. So we can show them mercy. We are the recipients of God's great mercy. God, in his immense mercy and with incredible love, embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. We are the recipients of God's great mercy. In Judah, they received God's great mercy. Now notice, if you will, what happens after God shows mercy to Josiah. In 2 Kings 23, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, And the king sent, this is Josiah, and they gathered up to him, all the, elders, all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord. And all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him. So the entire nation is gathering here together. And the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, everybody, regardless of their social status, everyone is here in this moment. Both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar. And he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and with all their soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And get this, all the people stood 
to the covenant. So literally, they stand before the entire nation, they read to them the book of the law, and then the king, King Josiah, gets up and he tells God, God, we are going to love you with all of our hearts. God, we are going to walk with you because you have showed us mercy. God, you've been so good to us. God, we're going to walk with you. We're going to obey you. God, we are going to follow wholeheartedly after you. And then the entire nation stands up with them to make this agreement with them. They're saying, yes, God, you've been so good to us. Yes, God, you have showed us incredible mercy. God, we will stand. We will agree. We will follow wholeheartedly after you, God, because of the amazing mercy and love that you showed us. As a result of God's incredible mercy, the entire nation once again follows after God. And they once again begin worshiping the one true God. Which leads us to our second thought this morning. God's mercy will lead us to wholeheartedly follow Him. God's mercy will lead us to wholeheartedly follow Him. You see, when we become aware of God's mercy to us, our automatic reaction will be to want to be closer to Him. The Bible says in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not keep my commandments and then I'll love you. No, Jesus said the way way you're going to show you love me is by keeping my commandments. Keeping commandments is a result of loving God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is exactly what King Josiah did. He loved God. He wanted to walk with God. Yes, the spiritual condition of his country was worse than the pagan countries around him. Yes, they faced incredible odds. Yes, Josiah was, did not walk into a situation that seemed fair. He could have said, well, okay, we're just going to kind of hold on here. And I don't know if any of us would have really blamed him. We would have said, well, given the circumstances, he's doing all right. But that's not what Josiah did. Josiah realized the mercy that God had showed him. And as a result, he wholeheartedly followed after God. After Josiah received God's mercy, he led the entire nation of Judah back to worshiping God. To worshiping God. They removed all the pagan temples. They removed all the idols. They literally got, they tore down the groves. They, just, they cleaned house. They got rid of everything. Why? Because God had showed them incredible mercy. Mercy led them to, first of all, walk with the Lord. They said, God, I will walk after you. I want to be close to you, God. And as a result of walking close to God, they obeyed his word. And as they were moving closer to God, they were moving farther away from their sin. So yeah, God's mercy led them to walk with God. God's mercy led them to obey God. And as they obeyed God and as they walked after God, they left their sin behind. Jesus was so beautiful. Jesus was so amazing. God and His mercy was so wonderful. They were just like, it's nothing. The sin is nothing compared to who and how amazing God is. God's mercy will lead us to walk with the Lord, to obey His word, and then to leave our sin behind. When we become so gripped by God's mercy, there will not be one area of our lives that will not be completely surrendered to Him. It's exactly what happened here. They saw God's mercy, and then they just wholeheartedly, holding no bars back, totally surrendered to God. And then verse number 25 of chapter 23 says this, And like unto him, speaking of Josiah, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him arose there any like him. Basically, he was so gripped by God's mercy, 
He held nothing back like nobody ever had. He was wholeheartedly serving God like nobody ever had before because he was gripped by God's mercy. And if we ever get to a point in our life, if I, Nick Minerva, ever get to a point in my life where I'm holding something back from God, that should serve as a trigger that says maybe I'm not really gripped by God's mercy. Maybe there's an area of my life where I'm just not aware of just how good God has been to me. Now, once again, picture in your mind being in the place of Josiah. And no, we don't have a kingdom to reign, but we have a family to lead. We don't have a nation, but we have a workplace. Perhaps your job environment isn't very friendly to Christians. I mean, you look around at the world today and you're just like, the world definitely isn't always friendly to Christians. Maybe your family heritage isn't one that honors the Lord. Maybe you're sitting here today and literally you're the very first Christian in your entire family and you're just trying to figure this all out and you can't look to your father or to your grandfather to say, you know, Dad, how did you do it when it was this hard? But God has shown us in his incredible mercy. God in his incredible mercy has given us Jesus. God in his incredible mercy has given us Jesus. And Jesus wants to lead our families through us. Jesus wants to build a godly heritage and a godly legacy through you. Jesus wants to reach your workplace through you. You see, it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. God wants to reach those around us through us. And even though the circumstances may be difficult, even though it seems like, I can't do this. Even though it feels like we've been dealt a hand that just isn't fair. God in His mercy has given us Jesus. And Jesus wants to do a work through us. We can recklessly and wholeheartedly serve God with every area of our lives. Not because we're really disciplined. Not because we got it all together. But because we have Jesus. All we have to do is surrender to Jesus and let Him live through us. God's mercy will lead us to wholeheartedly follow every area of our lives. You see, we don't have to worry about doing the best with what we got. I don't have to worry about doing okay given the circumstances because I have Jesus. And Jesus wants to do through us what we can never do in and of ourselves. Jesus wants to reach your world through you. And when we realize and when we're gripped by his incredible mercy and by how much he loves us and what he's done for us, he, we will wholeheartedly follow him. Nothing can stop a Christian who's been so gripped by God's mercy that they are totally sold out to God. When Christ is living through us, we can make a difference. It's true. In our flesh, we can't. And when we look at the circumstances, it's like, wow, we can't. Sure, we'll stumble and fall, but God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We are the recipients of God's great mercy. You see, the hero of our story isn't Josiah. It's not. If you read the next chapter, you'll find Egypt is going to war with another country. Josiah's like, oh, I want to go fight Egypt. And Egypt's like, the king of Egypt's like, whoa, what are you doing, man? God told me to go to war with this country. You don't want to interfere. This is what your God told me to do. So just, you know, let me do what God wants me to do. And Josiah's like, no, I'm going to go fight you anyway. And what happened to Josiah? He died. You see, Josiah is not the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. 
God is the one that wants to do a work in our hearts. God is the one that wants to do a work through us. And even though we feel like, I, I can't. Even though we feel like we're in a situation where we can't. And even though it seems like the circumstances are all stacked against us. The Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ who strengtheneth me. We are the recipients of God's great mercy. And God's mercy will lead us to wholeheartedly follow him. So, have we forgotten just how merciful God really has been? When was the last time you were just so gripped by God's mercy and you were so gripped by his love and you were just, you were blown away? I can remember right after our son was born, I was holding him and I was just, I was amazed. And I didn't know where it came from. I didn't, it was just like this instinct that came. And I just had this incredible love for my son. And I remember thinking, there's nothing this kid could do to make me love him any less. I mean, it's just, I know he's a newborn and he really hasn't done anything yet, but I remember having that feeling. And it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit told me, okay, you who are a sinful father have that kind of a love for your son. Imagine how much more of a love I have for you, Nick. And I was just like, whoa. We must be gripped by God's love. We must be so gripped by God's mercy that we just surrender everything to him. That we say, God, I will stand and I will wholeheartedly follow you. I will walk after you. I will love you. Not because it makes you love me more. Not because to prove anything. But God, it's just a natural response of me loving you or you loving me. God's mercy will lead us to wholeheartedly follow after him. Maybe we once again, if you're sitting here and there's, there's an area the Holy Spirit's brought to your mind and you're like, man, I'm not really whole, wholeheartedly following God in this area. Maybe we once again need to be gripped and realize just how merciful God has been to us.